0: You all can be seated. You can open up your Bible, uh, if you have one, uh, to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 91 here in a few minutes together. Let me get mine open to there as well. Um, But uh, yeah, we're going to be in Psalm 91 today, the first six verses of that text. Uh, But I wanted to to share kind of what we are beginning today. We're starting a new sermon series in, in the new year, starting this morning. And I wanted to share a little bit of why before we get into our text for today. And kind of lay out where we're going to be going even the next several weeks. Uh, I don't know how many of you like reading books. I like reading books. Uh, sometimes I am tempted to kind of skim through or skip those beginning sections of books, like the uh, the preface, the foreword, the introduction, all those sorts of things. Sometimes I'm tempted to just rush right through those. And one of them that I'm tempted to rush through is the acknowledgements section. Sometimes it's kind of sweet. Sometimes to be like, oh, to my dear husband or to my dear wife or children. But sometimes if we rush through those things, we can miss Miss something really wonderful. Uh, and I found that to be the case when I was reading a book a few years ago by an author named Matthew McCullough. Uh, in the acknowledgments section of his book, which I decided to read when I was going through that book, uh, he was thanking many people. And one of the people he thanked was his dad. Uh, but how he described his dad, there was this phrase that he had when he described his dad that just lodged in my mind and heart that I remember to this day and think I will probably remember uh, till the day that I die. Uh, And I don't think it was original to him. He put it in quotes. so I think he was stealing it from somebody else. Um, But he called his dad this. He called him a forward scout in the wilderness of time. That's what he called his dad, a forward scout in the wilderness of time. And I I thought, man, that, it kind of struck me as unusual at first, but really poignant, really picturesque of what a parent can be and ought to be for a child. Because life, in many ways, is like a wilderness. Uh, We're dropped as human beings into this planet that we've never been to before, that we have no bearings in regard to, we're dropped into this wilderness of sorts, where in the life that lays ahead of us, no matter how short or long it may be, there's challenges that that we're unaware of. There's dangers that we're unprepared for uh, as children. And God in his kindness usually, or often I would say, provides us with parents or other adults in our life who have gone before us in time, who've gone forward through life. They've been a toddler, they've been a teenager, they've been a young adult, they've been an older adult even. And they are able, They, having walked that path before us, having gone through that wilderness of time before us, they're actually able to report back to us. They're able to provide guidance to us about what to expect as we go into life. They're able to hopefully help us arrive safely at our destination eventually. Uh, That's what a parent can do. That's what other adults in our life can do. And that end goal, what's at the end of that wilderness, what, what we should be seeking to be a scout pressing them toward would be things like this, that we want those children as they grow up into adulthood, we want them to know the gospel and to believe the gospel, right? We want them to trust in Christ. We want them to live their lives fully, completely for Christ. And we want them not just to do it as a flash in the pan when they're young, but we want them to do it till the day that they die or the day that Jesus comes back. We want them to persevere in their faith and their obedience to Christ. And so that is our our goal. That's our objective as these scouts is to help young people grow into what we call gospel maturity, that they know the gospel, believe it, that they seek to live it out. But along the way, we as those scouts who've gone before them should be putting markers. We should be trying to help them anticipate what's to come and help them know which ways to turn. Help them know what sort of dangers lie ahead of them, what opportunities lie ahead of them. And that is where we come up with this name Wayposts uh, that we're going to be talking about these next several weeks. If you do not know what a waypost is, that's okay. I didn't know until a few months ago when I was looking this up. But if you, ha- you will know when I describe what they are in a second. If you ever go out on a trail, even if you go down to like the Greenway here in Winona Lake, uh, you will notice as you go on many trails, there's these little signs along the way uh, that help you know like, hey, if you're on such and such trail, you need to turn this way. Or if you're on this trail, you need to go that way. Sometimes they're really tiny and you might miss them. Sometimes they're large. But those are what wayposts are. There's these signs, these markers on a road or on a trail, on a path that help help you know which way to turn, help you know which way you need to go on your venture down this path. And those wayposts are there for a reason. They're there for a couple reasons, right? They're, help, they're to help us just not aimlessly wander around. They're to help us keep moving forward and to keep going the right direction. If you're like me, someone who's not an outdoorsman, uh, who uh, is not uh, familiar with twists and turns of trails, they also can help reassure you that you're on the right path. That, okay, I'm heading the right way. I'm going the right direction. That's what those wayposts are and what they're for. And so the last few months, uh, the the family ministry staff of our church and I, we've been working on trying to think through the spiritual life of children, of young people, thinking of the life that God's granted to them and what is in store for them as they move ahead into uh, adolescence, into adulthood. And we've been trying to think about what are some wayposts along the way? Uh, What are some things that we could put before them and that we could have even in our own minds to help them navigate this wilderness of life that they're entering into, to keep going down that path? And we've thought through what the typical process of human development is like from infancy to adulthood. There's natural progressions that we make uh, as human beings, and we've also, more importantly, we've searched the scriptures uh, to think through, okay, as we develop into the human beings God has made us to be, what are some of those natural things that he's put into our life that we need to be attentive to, that we need to be aware of, and, and be sensitive to as those children develop, and the result has been what we're going to call six wayposts, uh, as we think about it from infancy to adulthood, six things as children progress through life that we want to be helping them uh, be attentive to, Particular ages to keep pressing down the path towards gospel maturity. One of our core values, our core parts of our vision as a church, is to reach the nations with the gospel of Christ, but also to reach the generations with the gospel of Christ. To pass it down in time to see the youngest among us believe the gospel and live the gospel. And so I'm going to show you a quick overview on the screen of the six wayposts, and we're going to look at waypost number one this morning from Psalm 91. Uh, but these six wayposts, so you can anticipate what we're going to talk about the next several weeks. We'll do one of these each week. Uh, the first one, and I believe we have a slide for this. Is that, and we're calling it today. We're going to go over. Is and these all start with I. If you like alliteration, okay. The first one is incubate, and this is for the the infants and even I would say the unborn uh, as mothers are carrying them we want to try to teach them what we would call teach them the safety of the gospel that even before they're making decisions even before they're taking breath that we are caring for them, that we're showing them their security here, that there's love here, that there's protection here and we can picture for them what the safety and protection of God is like uh, as they are infants and toddlers. That's what we're going to look at today. Uh, Next week we're going to look at waypost number two as children get into those uh, terrible twos or threes those preschool years those toddler years Uh, we want to think in in terms of this waypost of instruct and what we mean by that is that we want to teach them their need of the gospel that age of children is where they're starting to make moral decisions where they're starting to make choices to assert their will and it's when we enter into areas of of discipline with our children things like that and so we want to talk about the law of God why it's important in the life of a child to help them learn not just that they're this wonderful, delightful human being, although they are made in the image of God, but that they're also sinful and that they need forgiveness. We want to teach them that as toddlers and preschoolers. Then as they get into grade school into kindergarten and into those those primary grades of school, the the waypost that we're going to talk about the third week is this one that we call inform. That we want them to, we want to teach them the story of the gospel. As they're getting into grade school and they're becoming readers and learners, we want to teach them the story of the gospel. We want to be teaching them the Bible over and over and over the narrative of the Bible from creation to the cross to the return of Jesus. We want to be uh, baking the story of the gospel into to the hearts and to the minds of young people as we turn the page into waypost four into adolescence and you think of early adolescence the, the fourth week we're going to look at a waypost that we call these words get longer uh internalization uh, that as a, a young person is growing into those like middle school years we want to teach them the truth of the gospel uh, and what we mean by that is we want to teach them to actually believe it themselves to not just know it, not just know the story, not just know the facts and be able to regurgitate those things, but to really believe them, to, to take hold of them, to believe that they are true in their life. Uh, as they get into the, we get to the fifth waypost in that middle adolescence, maybe think early high school, uh, the word that we're gonna use for that marker is identity, that we're wanting to teach young people in that age of life what we would call the centrality of the gospel. In that age where they're starting to know the things that they're good at, know the things that they're weak at, they're they're knowing their strong suits and their weak points and they're tempted to find their identity in all sorts of other things like sports and boys and girls and money and music and clothes and all these things. We want them to center their identity on the gospel. To know their union with Christ. And then in late adolescence the last waypost as they get towards adulthood. That's a waypost that we're going to call interdependence. And that we want to teach them as they near adulthood teach them the life of the gospel. uh, That we want them to grow not to see just the life of the church as something that was great when they were a kid and something that was was nice and that they kind of look back on with fond memories but that they see that my life now from now till I die or till Christ comes back is to be a follower of Christ with other followers of Christ uh, to live with them to grow with them to serve with them and so those are the way posts that we're going to talk about each week uh, and we're going to navigate through those as a church and hopefully use those in the years ahead to help us as we disciple the next generation as we teach them to follow after Christ. I want to get to Psalm 91 in just a second, but I want a couple of notes before we do. As we think about these wayposts and the paths to try to lead children through uh, towards maturity in Christ, a couple notes I would make before we jump into this text. One is that we know, we acknowledge, discipleship is not just this linear, simple process, okay? Like, we, we know that. We, we don't uh, believe that it's just linear, straightforward, just step by step by step. There's repetition in discipling people, uh, young people and old people alike. There's messiness to it. Uh, but... We we would know there are typical progressions that God works us through. Uh, There are typical things that we struggle with and opportunities that present themselves along the way that we want to be attentive to and we want to help young people with. And we also acknowledge that discipleship of young people is not just automatic. It's not as if we just do the right things and point them the right directions and teach them the right lessons and say the right things that it will ensure that they come to faith. Uh, We can point them down the path. We can try to help navigate them down the path, but we can't make them go down the path. We can't choose it for them. We cannot guarantee it. And so as we talk about these things in the next few weeks, if we, the last thing we would want to do is have anybody, any parents, grandparents, disciplers in our church to think back on people they have discipled in the past and think, man, I really dropped the ball because so-and-so turned out such-and-such way. Uh, their, Their lack of faith is not necessarily a sign that we have failed in our discipleship of them. And the last thing I want to say before we get to Psalm 91 is that these wayposts, these, these uh, twists and turns, these signposts that we want to see in the Word of God as directives to us, uh, they can be helpful even well beyond the realm of discipling children and discipling teenagers. They can be helpful even in our own life to evaluate, where am I in my following after God? Have there been some of these turns maybe I've missed that I need to revisit in my own life? They can be helpful when you're discipling anyone, even a 40-year-old can be an infant in Christ, right, that that needs to know some of these basic things to grow in maturity. And so, uh, with those things said, I want us to turn to Psalm 91 at long last, and I won't have those long introductions in the sermons that follow, but I want to introduce the series to you. Uh, Psalm 91, verses 1 through 6 are what we're going to read, because with each of these, we want to read the Word of God. There's all sorts of theories that are out there, all sorts of developmental theories that are out there that psychologists have come up with, sociologists have come up with that are really valuable and helpful to understand how human beings grow and mature. But the fail proof God, the the bedrock truth of of how humans develop and how we can help them develop to who God made them to be is his word. And so we want to start there each and every Sunday and stay there as we think about discipling of children. So this text is going to be about the safety of the gospel, uh, how we experiencing it, and then how we can extend that to the youngest of children in our life. So follow along with me and psalm 91 verses 1 through 6 and then we'll unpack what this psalmist is trying to say in these verses he wrote this he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty i will say to the lord my refuge and my fortress my god in whom i trust for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Now, we do not know who wrote this psalm. Uh, we we're not given that detail at the start of it. We don't know the identity of this psalmist, but we do know what his message was. Uh, that is very clear. I, I would summarize his message for the whole psalm, but especially for this beginning part here. The basic message is this, that God protects his children. God protects his children. Uh, he, he uses all sorts of different word pictures, right? He, he mixes metaphors up here. It may drive some English teachers kind of crazy. He uses all these different word pictures and images to all hover around this idea that God protects his children. You probably noticed some of them, right? In verse one, he talks about God as a shelter. He talks about the shelter of the most high. He talks about God in verse two as a refuge and a fortress he even says my refuge my fortress Uh, that's how he speaks of god Uh, again another protecting note uh, is in verse four the end of verse four we'll come back to those words that revolve around birds and uh, his wings and things like that but the end of verse four he talks about the faithfulness of god as a shield and a buckler that's how my translation says it at least a shield you know what a shield is a buckler you may not know what that is I'm not a big comic book person, but I do know at least a little bit of the visuals enough to know. Do you know Captain America? And how he has that circular shield that he holds? That's like what a buckler is. It's like a smaller little circular shield that would be for real close combat typically. So he's saying that God's faithfulness is like a broad shield and then like this small buckler even for the things that come close to you and the dangers that come to you. And then in verse five and six, he, he talks about God as protecting his children from dangers of the night and dangers of the day, Uh, that that all throughout the day, no matter what types of dangers come, no matter what terrors of the night or arrows that fly in the day, he talks about how we don't need to fear them. We don't need to be nervous of them because God protects his children But if we go back to verse one, he talks about dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, I love that phrase, dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty, because dwelling in the shadow of someone or something means a couple of things, doesn't it? It means that you're close to them, right? Shadows can sometimes be long, but they're not that long. If you're under their shadow, you're close to that person. But being under the shadow of that person also means that you are lower than them, that you are beneath them, that they are over you. They're bigger than you. They're stronger than you. They're taller than you. They're greater than you. So being in their shadow means that you're close to them and that you're under them, that you're under their care. And what you see often in the Psalms, if you've read through the Psalms before, you've probably noticed this phrase many times that's in there where it talks about the being under the shadow of God's wings specifically. Uh, that, that is the image that is used over and over in the psalms of being under the shadow of the wings of God. And that is picked up even in this psalm in verse 4, right? He talks about God covering his people, he says, with his pinions. I don't know much about birds, but that means like the, the outermost parts of their wings, I believe, that help with flying. He talks about how he covers them with his pinions, and then it says, under his wings you will find refuge, I love this because this is inspired by the Spirit, right? This is talking about God Himself, and God is talking about Himself. This could feel so wrong to talk about God this way because God is so great, but He's talking about Himself as if He's this parent bird, right? That that has these wings that that it puts around its children, either as a, a mommy bird or a daddy bird, uh, that 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 puts its wings over his children. And verse three says that as a a parent bird he can deliver them from the snare of the fowler from the traps of the one who would like to catch them as young birds uh, that that he uh, protects them uh, and that he covers them with his wings and I love this image I I so appreciate that God puts this image about himself in his word uh, because I, I think it's just picturesque for us of a what I would call a tender but a strong protection of his people and of his children. There's a tenderness to it because he brings us near, he holds us close to himself, but there's a strength to his protection as well. That's not just some sentimental protection, but he is strong to defend us and to protect us against harm right because if we think about our relationship to god uh it really doesn't do it justice but if we think of ourselves as that baby bird and him as the parent bird him as the daddy bird if you want to think of him that way i think there's some accuracy to that right because if god is far from us like a parent bird is, is ever far from its baby birds then we are vulnerable right There's dangers that come to us. You think about, if you just watch birds in the springtime, okay? Like, I don't do that a lot, but I do some. When those eggs are laid, they typically stay by those eggs, don't they? They don't go far away. They they either are sitting on them or staying nearby. At least one of the parents is typically around because they know those eggs are vulnerable, that they could crack, that a, a predator could come take them away. And when those baby birds are in those shells of their eggs, they are totally at the mercy of their parents aren't they they can do nothing to protect themselves that they can't see outside the egg even if they could they could do absolutely nothing to protect themselves they are totally dependent upon their parents and even once they're born even once those that egg is cracked and they come to life those baby birds they can't feed themselves they can't fend for themselves can they they are totally dependent upon their parents for protection But the flip side of that, the the flip side of their vulnerability when their parents are far away is that when their parents are near, they are safe that when those mom or dad birds typically sit on their eggs, they are looking after them. They are protecting them from predators. And if you don't know this, uh, I mean, just I, me and my kids sometimes will walk by the trail down by the boathouse by the edge of Winona Lake, and in the springtime, there's like uh, geese and goslings and ducks and ducklings. And if you try to like go mess with those little baby birds, you will find either that they run away very quickly and their parents help screw them off, or they will start honking at you, right? Like they don't just let people mess with their children. They seek to protect them. And God on a bigger, greater, grander scale does that for his children. That he, he protects us, he looks after us. God can protect us from things that are far worse than just some snare or some arrow. God can protect us and does protect us. If we're his children, he protects us from Satan. At times, not always, but he protects us from suffering. He at least has the ability to protect us from suffering. But most importantly, what God protects us from is that God protects us from hell. God protects us from his own judgment that we deserve to come to us. God protects his children. But I I would note for us that God's protection of us meant the punishment of his son. For him to protect us meant that he had to punish his son. It is an absolute act of grace and mercy of God toward us that he allows us near to him. Like We, have, we are not these like sweet little baby birds who he just looks at with just this sentimentality and the, this pleasantness. We are people who are rebels against him. We are people who have walked away from him. We're people as ones who were made in his image who have walked away from him and said, no, I'm going to live how I want to live. I'm going to do what I want to do. We have rejected him We have walked away from him, but God set his love upon us in spite of that. God, before we were ever born, if you read through the scriptures, read a text like Ephesians 1, before we were ever born, like God knowing that we would run away from him, that we would reject him, God set his love upon us and did, before we were ever born, did what was necessary to bring us forgiveness and to bring us eternal life before a breath had been taken by us. And he punished his son on the cross in our place. Like he, he crushed his son upon the cross, not for his, own, for his son's sins, but for ours. And he did it so that we might be forgiven. He did it so that we might be brought near to him, that we might be able to be brought under his wings of protection and care. And I would say this, sticking with this image of of a parent bird, that God can cover us with his wings of protection because he removed his wings of protection from his son right? When he went to the cross, he punished his son so that he might protect us, that we might become his children who are loved and forgiven by him. And I want us to know if we repent of our sins, if we put our trust in his son, Jesus Christ, we will be, we are provided with absolute safety. We are are given safety by the God of the universe. We don't need to fear. If we're united with Jesus, we don't need to fear that he's going to abandon us. We don't need to fear that he's going to harm us. We don't need to fear that he's going to turn against us. We don't need to approach him with shame over our sin. We don't need to, to shrink and hide from him because of our sin. We can come near to him. We can be drawn into his presence once and for all. And again, sticking with this bird imagery, we think about this, we who should be, hear this right way, we who should be in his mouth as his enemies are under his wings as his children. Like we are protected by the one who has every right to punish us. And we can, more than just not being punished, we actually get to enjoy the presence of God. We get to enjoy his approval, his pleasure, his kindness, his provision for us, his protection over us. That is what we are talking about when we talk about the safety of the gospel that we wanna teach to the youngest children. We wanna teach them that they can have that kind of safety with their creator, Uh, that they don't need to fear death, they don't need to fear him, they don't need to fear hell, they don't need to fear anything in life because they are loved securely and permanently by their creator. And in a child's earliest days of existence, think about as they enter into our world, as in their earliest days of existence, we get the privilege and the honor of, of giving them just a little taste, giving them just a little experience of that type of safety, don't we? That, that, that they, can, they have this safety that could become theirs, the safety of the gospel, the safety of the love of God. And as we provide love for them as infants, As we provide love for them, even as the unborn, we give them a little taste of what that love can be like. Here's what I mean. Before babies can ever understand words or concepts, before they can ever form thoughts, before they even have consciousness, we get to provide a glimpse for them of what God's protective care is like, don't we? Think about before a baby is ever even born. Some of you in the room are biological mothers. You've carried a baby or multiple babies in your womb. Before that baby can even think or sense things, you are caring for them. You're quite literally keeping them alive. You're feeding them. Your body is protecting them. So, mothers, before you're ever born, you're you're dem- before your baby is ever even born, you're demonstrating a protective love for them, a provision for them, a security for them. Or I think of before a baby is born of a father who may be doing what we can as a dad on the outside that may be building a crib before your baby even know has ever seen your face, before they ever hear your voice, you're preparing a place for them to stay. Or I think about grandparents or friends of those parents who are praying for that child before it's ever born, sometimes before it's ever conceived, and they're helping their parents prepare for it. We are before that baby is ever even born. We are doing things to demonstrate love and safety to them that they may never appreciate they may never know but we are giving a picture to them of what the safety of the gospel is like and then once they're born once they have actually entered into our world and their eyes open and you hear them crying and screaming and all those things i I think of ways that we can picture the safety and the protective love of god for them i think of, of parents or grandparents or friends maybe who are babysitting them who strap them in their little car seats or who take them to their appointments, who wake up to their cries throughout the night, sometimes numerous times through the night, who, who change their nasty diapers, who, who feed them milk. I think of fellow church members and, and friends of the family uh, who have no biological ties at all to that child. And who the world may think they should have no vested interest in that child, but who voluntarily and faithfully, whether in nurseries here or in home groups or things like that, who voluntarily and faithfully rock them uh, so their parents can, can be part of a conversation, who sing songs to them, who read books to them, who cuddle them, who console them when they're crying. We are demonstrating to that child the safety and security of the love of God. We are showing them that we care for you, that we are here to protect you. And if without our care, without our protection, those children would perish, they would. That's how God has designed humanity is that when we enter into life, if we don't have people caring for us, we will perish. We have to have people who are looking after us, who are protecting us as parents, as grandparents, as friends, and as as extended family members. We need that protection desperately and we get to help provide it to them as the youngest among us. And we don't do any of those things. Or I would say we ought not to do any of those things, picturing the love and the safety of God's love to them. We don't do any of those things because the child has earned it, right? Or deserved it from us, that they have done something to prove themselves to us to gain our attention, gain our protection, gain our oversight in their life. We provide love for those children that is unconditional, That's not based on them doing something for us, right? Or impressing us. Loving infants can be very hard. Uh, It can be very taxing and draining. They scream at you. They poop on you. They pee on you. They throw up on you. They don't let you rest. They don't respect your alarm clock. They don't know night and day. it, It can be hard to love an infant at times. But we get to provide a love for them that's not based on them doing something to get our love. But loving them because we choose to love them. Because that's how God has related to us. And we get to provide them with an experience right out of the gate of life. Right at the beginning of the safety that they can only find in the love of God. That I think often, when, as we've raised infants in our family, as I hold other people's babies or look around and know of other people's babies, I think about this often, that these infants will not remember the things that we're doing to care for them, right? They're never going to remember these things, but they're important because they will be shaped by them, one way or the other. Like they they won't remember them, but they will be shaped by them in ways that they might not be able to articulate. They will be shaped by the love that they feel and that they experience from those in their life and demonstrating this, this safety of the gospel, showing them a love as infants that, that pictures for them what the love of God is like for his children. I would note for this, so some of us don't just check out and think this has nothing to do with us. This demonstrating of the safety of the gospel to infants is, I would say, is not just for moms, and it's not just for parents. Or maybe I would say this, way, not just for females, and it's not just for families. Sometimes it's tempting to think of the youngest children among us. It's tempting for some people to think, well, that is something that is mostly just for ladies. Uh, they're, they're more natural. They're more nurturing. They're, but I would say to us men in our church uh, that our role is vital and important in caring for infants. That it is not as if we just kick into gear when they hit the discipline, the, need, the age where they need discipline, or where they need they can get outside and run around or whatever. Like our job starts as soon as it can, as soon as they are born. Our job begins, if not beforehand. Uh, dads, you play an important role. Men of our church, you play an important role in showing the youngest among us the safety of the gospel, showing them that you love and you see them and you care about them. I love actually that in Psalm 91, God uses the image of a parent bird of all things, right? I I was reading a little bit about this because I don't know much about nature as I confess often here. But most mammals, uh, the dads do not actively stay around and help parent their offspring, but birds are the opposite like something like 90% of bird species, the mom and the dad actually work together uh, to care for their young, to, to sit on the eggs, to help feed them, to help care for them and look after them. It is a job for the female and the male, and I appreciate that so much because uh, God, even in this image, uh, speaks of himself almost like a daddy bird, one that's around with the the young that that is looking after them and protecting them. Men of our church, we play an important role in showing the young people, the youngest people of our church and of our community that we love them and that we care for them and that we see them, it's not just for females. But I would say also that it's not just for family. It's not just for parents either. Uh, I would say to us as a collective church, if, even if you have no children, even if you never have any biological children, you have adopted children in your family, you play an important role in showing the next generation in our church and in our community the love of God and showing them that you see them, that you care about them, that you will look after them, that you will be attentive to them. I, I think about this often as well. If you work in our church nurseries, or you help babysit someone else's kids in the life of our church, if you watch them, if you care for them, you are never just holding babies. You are never just letting parents have a break. As you hold babies, as you get to care for them or feed them or change their diapers or put them to bed or just try to soothe them, uh, as you read them books, sing them songs, all these things, you are, you may not think of it this way, but you are, whether they realize it or not and whether you realize it or not, you are picturing for them the safety of the gospel, that you are showing them that I love you, I care for you, and not because you deserve anything, that you've done anything to me to gain it, but because I want to because I, I care for you. I'm going to set my love and my protection for you. And as we care collectively as a church family for the youngest people among us, we get to demonstrate to them that true safety isn't found in being part of the Goodwin family, right? True, true safety is not found in being part of the Bass family or the Witty family. Like true, true safety is found in being part of God's family. That is what they need to know. That is what they need to see. It's not just that my mom and dad care about me, but this whole church family cares about me. And they love me, and they see me, and they protect me. And this is so important for us because this waypost, this first one showing them the, the safety of the gospel, it, it's going to lay the groundwork for what's to come and these other twists and turns of life, right? That, that as we lay this foundation... Uh, For our children and that that they can know from the earliest days that I am loved, I am cared for, I am protected. That is going to set us up well, at least. It's not going to make it easy, but it's going to set us up well for those times where temper tantrums kick in, right? And where we need to discipline and where we have arguments and where boundaries are pushed and where there's suffering that comes into their life and mistreatment from their friends and where hormones start to kick in. Like they, They need to know from the earliest days, this family loves me. And they are for me and they look after me. They must know that. And our ultimate aim is, is that these children uh, will not just be loved by us and seen by us, but that they will become a part of the family of God. Uh, that they will experience that safety of the gospel, not just in some small form from us, but in the fullness of being loved and cared for by God. They need to know this safety, the safety of the gospel, which I'm borrowing that phrase from Pastor Larry, by the way. I don't know if he got it from somebody else, but I so appreciate that phrase, the safety of the gospel, because we have to know that as young people who grow into adults because it affects how we interact with each other the rest of our lives. That that if we don't know the safety of the gospel, that I am loved by God the Father, that I am forgiven by God the Father, I'm looked after by God the Father, If we don't get a a grip of that and know our security security with him and his love for us, we are going to be slow as we get older to confess our sins to each other because we're going to be nervous that people are going to judge me. We're going to be slow to express our struggles with sin, aren't we? Because we're going to be nervous, what are other people thinking about me? And Maybe God thinks this about me. We're gonna be slow to share our doubts and the questions that come into our mind as we grow in our intellect. We're gonna be fearful of rejection and of abandonment of the people of God and even of God himself. But if we know from the very youngest ages, no, this family, my family and my church family love me and they look after me and they pray for me and they protect me, then that helps give us security as we think about God's estimation of us, his view of us. And it gives us a groundedness that lets us be honest that lets us be vulnerable, that doesn't put up fronts to people, but that can honestly express the things that we are dealing with in our lives. The safety of the gospel is not just something that we demonstrate to infants. It's something that we must remind each other of all the time uh, till the day that we die or Christ comes back. In closing, I wanted to share for just a minute why we chose this word incubate uh, for this first way post. The obvious reason would be that it starts with an I, and it fits with the rest of them, right? Uh, and that an that a incubator gets at the idea of providing a safe environment for children, for, for babies even, themselves. But, uh, but I want to say this, uh, we know that incubators, and I'm talking like real-life incubators, not metaphorical ones on wayposts of life, uh, real incubators can actually be really hard to be around. Uh, they. Uh, if you're an outsider to them, and it's not your child in them, that can seem kind of interesting and maybe even sweet. But when it's your own child inside of one, you don't feel that way. Because when a child is in an incubator, It's a wonderful blessing of of modern technology that we can do things like that. But when your child is in an incubator, and I've been with one family, at least in our church, with their child uh, at the side of an incubator, uh, that baby's fragility of their life is painfully evident. And what's also very evident is your own weakness as a parent. Like that you can, you feel so helpless. You think, man, I can do nothing right now to help protect my son or daughter. And when your child is in an incubator, you can't help, or I hope you can't help, but call out to the one who is all-powerful, one who is all-wise, the one who loves that little son or daughter far more than even you do and the one who can do what you cannot. And you know in that moment, if my child is spared, it's not because of me. It's not because of something that I've done. It's because of him. It's because of his work, his intervention in the life of my child. And so we chose this word, knowing that can be difficult, but still choosing it nonetheless, this word incubate, because right here as we think about the beginning of the path of a child's life, as we think about the opportunity to show them the safety of the gospel, we need to remember from day one who their savior is. That it is not you. It is not us is Christ. And we must know from the get-go that if our children are to reach that ultimate destination, if they're to make it through these twists and turns of life, if they're to reach that ultimate destination someday, I promise you, it will not be because they had great parents. It will not be because they had a wonderful church, they had excellent programs, or some discipleship strategy that people thought was great. If they make it to that destination, It will be because they have a great Savior who has carried them throughout, who maybe has used us as means to them, but it will be because they have a great Savior. Amen. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to sing one more song here in a moment. But I'm going to pray for us. I'm actually going to invite you to stand as we pray. And we're going to sing one more song. And then I'm going to leave you with the word of benediction after that. But let's pray to that, that God who created us, that, that made us with these, this process of development. Pray for his help as we seek to care for the youngest among us and show them that safety of the gospel. Father in heaven, we uh, are such small creatures. We are so weak. We are so vulnerable. Without you, without your protection, without your, uh, your wings over us, we would be destroyed. God, we are grateful that you sent your son, that he became an infant, that he entered into our human race, that he entered into this wilderness, this world. And we thank you that you ultimately, as hard as it must have been for you, that you removed your wing of protection from him so that you could wrap it around us. God, we pray that you would help us to care for the youngest among us, to demonstrate that type of love, that type of selflessness, that type of sacrifice to them, and that we would show them, that we would give them a picture, one that they will not remember, uh, but that is valuable nonetheless, a picture of your love and the safety of your gospel. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.